last week over my sermon from last Sunday, I was a little bit troubled. I was thinking, like, did I get the message across? Did I, did I explain it well, this kingdom of God? This kingdom of God is big. This reign of God, there's so many facets to it. More than just salvation, as good as it is, that God has come to bring justice and mercy to rise up those who have been pushed down. I've been thinking about it, like just for all the talk about realm and reign, about embassy and outpost, it's complicated to understand, to, to even understand the kingdom of God, how big it is, and what it means for us. But there is one thing that I feel like I got right. One part where I said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, look at Jesus. Watch Jesus in the way that he speaks, the things that he says, and the things that he does. As we read through Mark's Gospel, he's keen to tell us who Jesus is. He tells us by the things that he says. And he tells us by the things that he does. You see, in Mark's Gospel, as you read through it, if you take the time to read the whole thing, you'll see the reign of God at work. You'll see the reign of God in the words that Jesus says, the way that he says it, the way that people respond and the things that he does, the people that he heals, the demons that he casts out. You will see the reign of God at work in Christ. I was thankful for it this morning. This passage came right after uh, preaching last week. Because again, we hear Jesus doing things, saying things, exercising demons, healing people. And if we will look closely, we will see the reign of God at work. For as complicated and as large as it is to understand, we will see the reign of God at work here in Jesus. I think Mark wants us to see that the reign of God is at work in the things that Jesus says the way that he says them. You see, there's something about Jesus. There's something different about him. There's something powerful when he speaks. He doesn't just speak like someone who knows a lot. He speaks with authority. And it's interesting when you read Mark's Gospel and you read this first part of, as Teresa read it this morning, we don't actually hear what Jesus said. Did you notice that? He doesn't tell us the content of his sermon. I wonder if he preached something like he did in Nazareth. His first sermon there, when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. Or maybe he said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. We don't know what he said. I wonder if it was something like one of these other sermons that Jesus preached. But we know that he preached with authority. Mark tells us at least that much. He spoke with authority. The word that Jesus, or word that Mark uses here, is it's this Greek word exousia. Now he only uses this word ten times in the gospel, and each time he's referring to Jesus. Jesus is this one with exousia, with this divine authority. Either Jesus is speaking and showing his authority, or he's giving authority to disciples, or the Pharisees are questioning him, saying, by what authority do you do these things? We are meant to see this word authority, this divine authority that he has. So not only does Mark use a special word to tip us off of, what Jesus is, of who Jesus is, but he also uses the response of people. The whole crowd that was there, they began to ask, who is this? What is this teaching with authority? He teaches like one who has this authority from God, not like the scribes. 
Interesting, not like the scribes. Who were the scribes? There were these people who lived at that time who could read. You see, so many people in that time, maybe one in ten, or something, maybe nine out of ten people could not read. And so they relied on scribes. Teachers of the laws are also called. <coughs> that these people had power in the community because they could read the Word of God. For a people who relied on the written Word of God, you can imagine how important a scribe was, how much honor they received, how carefully they were looked after, because they could tell people what the Word of God said. I thank God that we live in a time now where everybody reads. We live in a time of the priesthood of all believers, that we rely on each other, the whole congregation. But back then, they relied on one person, and sometimes that person handled that authority well. Sometimes they didn't. But they said Jesus has authority, not like the scribes. When he preaches, he has this inherent authority, this authority that is in him because of who he is. Not because of the skills that he has, but because of who he is. He preaches with authority. It's inherent in him because of who he is. I think Mark is trying to convince us of who Jesus is from the very beginning. Trying to convince us that he is this Son of God. This Anointed One, this Christ, the Messiah. He wants us to see that more than what Jesus teaches about, he teaches with authority. That we begin to recognize him immediately for who he is. And the people around him, they begin to see that he has this inherent power, this inherent authority because of who he is. Well, as much as Jesus speaks with authority, he also acts with authority. And in the way I see Jesus moving and acting among people, I see the kingdom of God at work restoring the things the way they were before the fall of humanity. Restoring things to the ancient way, to the ancient creation. When, when things were good, when God walked among His people, there was no sin, there was no death, there was no pain and suffering. Before, Adam and Eve thought that they knew better than God and drove everything into the dirt for all of humanity. Before those times, God walked with people. There were no demons. People were not demonized. People that were not sick or ill, they did not die. But since that time, since the fall, we have been plagued as humanity. Plagued by sin and death. By illness and disease. Things that tear our frail bodies apart. Not only that, we've been demonized. Demons work in this world. Powers that we don't fully understand, yet we dare not dismiss. Powers that take the things, that, the sinfulness, the brokenness in us, and pour gasoline on it, playing on the worst parts of ourselves, and in some cases, even terrorizing people. It's not surprising to me that Jesus' first, or excuse me, Mark's first example of a miracle of Jesus is an exorcism. It's not surprising to me. We see the kingdom of God at work here and we see the, the, the power of good, of God and evil. We see this cosmic battle falling out into the streets or in this case into a synagogue. When we see the kingdom of God at work, we see evil push back. We see God set things right. We see Him reclaim people. Reclaim those who have been tormented. Restoring them to a right relationship with God. We see the kingdom of God at work here. 
In this synagogue, Jesus was preaching with authority. And in comes this man with an unclean spirit, ranting and raving, hissing at Jesus. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, silence. Silence. And come out. Commanding this demon to be silent. The way that God commands storms to stop on the Sea of Galilee. He speaks and His words have power. Like they did when He said, let there be light and there was light. Like He did when He said, let there be fish in the sea and the the waters teemed with life. When God speaks, the world changes. Jesus speaks and this demon is silent and He comes out. He convulses the man and shrieks as He comes out. Notice that Jesus didn't do a bunch of dances or chants. No incantations, no secret spells, just His Word. Just His authority. Because of who He is. Because He is the Son of God. He has power and authority to do this. To change reality. To drive back evil. To push back demons. If we believe that the reign of God is present in Jesus, as I believe, then we will see here the kingdom of God at work. Driving out evil. Casting out demons. We'll see the the reign of God at work, bringing people back to God, restoring people, reclaiming their lives, those who have been terrorized. But we'll also see more. As amazing as this exorcism is, Jesus continues to do more. It said that he left that synagogue and he went to the house of Simon, who we know as Peter. He went to his house there, and Peter's mother in law was sick with illness and had a fever. And those times, they didn't know that times that, that fevers were connected with illness. And this is quite possibly something that threatened her life. And so the men, they talked with him. And Jesus went in there, and taking her hand, he raised her. Like he raised Jairus' daughter, like he raised Lazarus, like Christ himself was raised, he raised her. Again, no words, no incantations, no secret spells, just the power of God at work. We are meant to see who Jesus is by the things that He does. And then that night, after the Sabbath was over, people crowded in from all around. From many parts of Galilee, people crowded in at the door because they wanted to see this Jesus. They wanted to be healed as well. And it said that He healed many various diseases and cast out many demons. We are meant to see Jesus for who He is by the way that He acts, by the way that He lives. That He has power to drive out evil. Power to push evil back. Power to heal and bring healing. Where the kingdom of God is, there is healing. Well, that next morning, Jesus got up very early. Mark makes it a point for us to see that very early. He slips out the door And he goes away to this desert place, this deserted place, this quiet place, the place where the prophets used to go when they wanted to speak with God or when they wanted to hear from God, a place from all the trouble, from all the voices, from all the counsel of people. He went to this deserted place. 
so that he could hear God, that he could meet with God, that he could listen. You see, Jesus understood how vital prayer was. It was vital to who he was and to his ministry. It wasn't just tacked on at the end. It wasn't that he had decided all the things he was going to do to grow this ministry or the things he was going to do to live his life. Here's how I'm going to do it, God. Will you please bless it? Here's all my plans, God. Will you please make them work? It wasn't tacked on like that at all. It was the source of his ministry. It was out of prayer that Jesus even knew what he was supposed to do. It was out of prayer that he then had the resources, the strength, and the power to do them. And not only that, but along the way, it was by prayer that he was guided faithfully to carry out the message that God had sent him to carry, to proclaim that the kingdom of God had come. It was by prayer that he remained faithful to this. It was by prayer that he remained close to the living God. And we neglect prayer. Now, this isn't trying to judge you. I'm repeating back what I so often hear people say to me. The top five confessions people say to me is, I know I need to pray more. I know, I know I should pray more. I know I need to set time aside and pray. We all feel this way. One of my common confessions is, Lord God, please forgive me because it is already halfway through the day and I have not yet even sat down to listen to you. I've not even sat down to ask for your help, to ask for your guidance in this day. I struggle with this too. Morning comes and we had a late night and so we wake up a little bit later and we get on with our day and we start doing things. Think, you know, these other things are really important. I just need to get a little handle on these and then maybe I can come back and pray. And the next thing you know, it's two days later. Prayer is vital to our ministry. It is vital to our lives. Jesus knew this. He knew this. But how do we get that knowledge that's in our head, that we know how important prayer is, that it comes to our heart? But not only do we know it, but we trust it, and we live out of our heart. We live out of the trust that we have that prayer is the most important thing we can do. That everything begins at its best with prayer. How do we move that to our heart? How do we begin trusting that? You see, I believe that Jesus knew this. I believe that Jesus knew how important prayer was. That he began praying early in the morning that God would guide his mission, that God would guide his life. You see, as Jesus lived, as his ministry went, he was in sync with the heart of God. Jesus' ministry was in sync with the heart of God. He was relying on God for his guidance, that God would show him what to do. We saw it again at Gethsemane. When Jesus prayed, he said, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. Continually relying on the Father for direction. Relying on the Father that he would, be, he would be faithful to what God had sent him to do. He would be faithful for what he had come to do as the Son of God. It's important for us too. Our best life, our best life and ministry, we do these things best when they come out of prayer. When we pray and, and God makes us faithful that we would proclaim the kingdom of God. That we live consistently with the gospel, with this kingdom from which we belong. That we would be fruitful. That our lives would be fruitful for the kingdom. 
fruitful for the God who has saved us. Don't be surprised, though, when this prayer, when praying and guiding, letting God guide our lives through prayer, challenges people. Don't be surprised when it sets us up to do things that people don't understand. Be courageous. Be very courageous. Because the people in this world who, who don't understand, they won't get it when we say we are here or we are doing this because we've prayed about it. Because we feel this is what God has called us to do. This world won't get that. Sometimes even people close to us won't get that. You see, Peter came up to him and he said, Lord, where have you been? Everybody's been looking for you. I don't know that Peter got it. I almost hear Peter saying, Lord, we've had this great ministry. Look at all the great things that you're doing. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. You're becoming known all over Galilee. Everything is going right. What are you doing here in the morning? Everyone's looking for you. We need you to get back in there and keep things going. We're getting momentum. And I believe because he's been praying, Jesus says, let us go to elsewhere. Let us go to other places around this region. Because I need to go there and preach also. For this is why I have come. Don't be surprised when prayer leads us in directions that, that, that people are surprised at, that people don't understand. Be faithful to that. Be courageous in that. Prayer is so important. It is vital to who we are. It is vital to our faith and to our lives. It will help us to be consistent with the kingdom of God, to live truly as citizens of this kingdom in our work, with our friends, in our communities, and also in our ministry, in our life, that we would be fruitful for this kingdom. But what's interesting to me, the final thing of this, of this whole passage, we've seen of Jesus healing people and teaching, casting out demons, is that he says, I have come to preach. As powerful as exorcisms are, as powerful as they are, as amazing as healings are, Jesus says, I have come to preach. This is why I have come. This is what drove him. This was the reason for him being here, was to proclaim that the kingdom of God had come, that the time had been fulfilled. He came to proclaim that the reign of God began with him. That all the things that he taught, the things that he said to people, the way he taught us to live, are examples of the kingdom of God. That the way that he acted, the things that he did, the demons that he drove out, the people that he healed, the lepers that he cleansed, the blind that he made see again, all show us, they point towards the kingdom of God, towards the reign of God now in human history. Where Jesus is, the reign of God is. When you see Jesus, you see the kingdom of God at work. And as God the Father sent God the Son, so the Son sends the church. We are a sent people. This morning, we saw it again in front of us. This morning, as we saw so many of our youth up here in front of us getting ready to go on a mission trip, they stood before us and we prayed over them. Last week, they were in the junction, receiving the Lord's blessing there again. And next week, they'll be in Nelson. But this Sunday, they are here and we have, we have proclaimed that God would bless them. We have prayed blessing over them in their ministry. We send you out this week as a church. We pray the Lord's Spirit to be on you, 
to preach good news to the poor. We send you out to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. We send you out to release the oppressed and to proclaim the amazing news that the reign of God has come in Jesus Christ. We are a sending church. And this morning, as we send out missionaries, as we send out our youth to go and proclaim this good news, we also realize that we are missionaries too. That everyone in this church who follows Jesus is a missionary with a mission. That this church, as great as it is, that this is a place for us to come and worship, to come and praise God, to come in safety as a Christian, this church is also a mission outpost for the kingdom of God here in the Kootenays. As we talked about it last week, this place is an embassy bringing about the policies of God in the kingdom of heaven here in Balfour, here in Proctor and Harrop, in the Kootenai region. The church is here to be a blessing in this community, to cultivate the kingdom of God here. We are a sent people, sent by, a, by ascending God. A God who is called to go out and proclaim the good news. The good news that the kingdom has come and everything that that entails to be good friends with our neighbors and our co-workers so that when that time comes and they say, why are you like this, that we have a chance. We have that one chance to say, I'm like this because Christ has changed my life. Because He has saved me. Because I believe that He has come to do all this. That by His cross and resurrection, God has saved my life. And we are called as a people sent into this community to bring mercy to people who are at the bottom rung to those who are disadvantaged, disenfranchised, people who always end up at the bottom. Maybe it's choices they've made. Maybe it's things that have happened to them. We are here to be merciful, to serve them, to help them, encourage them in faith, but also to help them in life. And we've been sent to bring justice, to challenge the strong, to remind them of their responsibility for the weak, to challenge the greedy, that greed is not good, that we are to be generous as people and to challenge those who don't really care for people who are too busy to care. We are sent to challenge this. We are sent to proclaim the kingdom of God and how vast it is, the implications that it has for whole people, for their spiritual well-being, their physical well-being, their mental well-being, and their heart. We have been sent. We are a sent people. We have a mission here in the Kootenays. And this morning we send out our youth in a mission in Tekate. Jesus has come. The Son of God has come. And He proclaimed the good news that the time has been fulfilled. The time is finally right. And the kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe in the good news. We, as a, as a church, we have been sent with this same message. To proclaim this among our friends and our neighbors. In our families. You are a sent people, sent to proclaim that the kingdom has come to bring mercy and justice in our community, into this world. Bless you as you go out in this good news. Amen.